One of my favorite songs outside of church is a song by Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard called Poncho and Lefty. Poncho and Lefty is a song about two outlaws named Poncho and Lefty. Well, that song inspired today's sermon title, Pudgy and Lefty. That is the title of today's sermon from Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 20. If you've never listened to Poncho and Lefty, after church, go home and enjoy some good music. Today's sermon is in Judges chapter 3, and we are continuing our series called Weird Stories from the Bible. Now, I know Pastor Dirk just prayed for us, but before we go into our sermon, I want to pray for us as well. If you're new here, if you're a visitor, we believe in the power of prayer. We want to pray as much as we have opportunity. We want to pray more and more. So I want to specifically ask now that God would open the eyes of our heart as we study his word. So join me now in prayer. God, we do proclaim that you are holy, holy, holy. The earth is filled with your glory. So we ask, God, that you would show yourself to us now as we study your word. Open the eyes of our hearts. Open the eyes of our minds. Lord, open our lives to be open to what it is you have to say to us. Lord, even in studying these weird stories, gosh, God, help us not just to focus on the weirdness of the story, but to see how you are at work. God, I am convinced there are people here today who are discouraged. I pray you encourage them. I'm convinced there are people here today who are confused. I pray you bring them clarity. There may be people here who are living in fear. God, I pray you give them courage in the gospel. There may be people here who are lost in their sins. I pray you save them. By the mighty work of Jesus. God, I pray there may be some here today who are hardened against you and your ways. Pray by the power of your spirit, you will soften their hearts to be receptive to hearing from their creator and Lord. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we get into the sermon, we're going to get right into the first point. We must first understand that the build-up of this story is weird. If you're taking notes, that's your first point. The build-up of this story is weird. Okay, We don't have to wait to get to the actual story. We have to understand, first of all, what is going on in the book of Judges. Some of you have studied the, Judges, uh, the book of Judges. If you want to know a, a lot of detail about Judges, I encourage you to speak to my wife. She's actually taught a Bible study in Judges. Uh, she's not here. We have a, a child with a cough at home right now. But she, uh, she would love to talk to you about the book of Judges. She's done a lot of study there. I've done some as well. You can always talk to me, but I encourage you to talk to my wife about that. But you can describe Judges with one word using the word cycles. Cycles. What we see in the book of Judges are these cycles that keep happening in the book. The people of God would sin against God, and as a result, God would bring judgment on them. He, there would be consequences for their sins. Well, as they were suffering from judgment, they would finally realize, we need God's help. 
So they would cry out to God, God, help us. Deliver us from this judgment. Deliver us from this sin. And then God would listen to their repentance and listen to their cry for help, and he would send them a deliverer, often called a judge, and the judge would come and deliver the people from the judgment that they were suffering from. And then they would start to feel good, and everything would be fine. And they would say, well, we really don't need the Lord all that much. We're doing just fine on our own. And they would give in to sin once again, and the cycle would start over. God would bring judgment again. They would cry out to God again. God would bring another deliverer. Then everything would be fine again. And the cycle would start over and over and over. And you see that all throughout the book of Judges. Now, let me just point out what I think is obvious. Just so you know, I feel it would be irresponsible for me not to say this to you. When things are going well in your life, that is not the time to turn your back on the Lord. In fact, let me just help you out. There is never a good time to turn your back on the Lord. We should faithfully trust the Lord when it's raining and when the sun is shining. Or when it's 35 degrees when you wake up in the morning in Florida. We should worship God when we are rich and when we are poor. We should praise the name of Jesus when we are healthy. And we should praise the name of Jesus when we are dying. We should follow God's ways when our country is prosperous or when our country is under oppression. We must realize that every blessing comes from God. And we must also realize that God is with us in every moment of suffering. We should always be faithful to him because he is always faithful to us. So don't be a fair-weather Christian. Be a faithful follower of Jesus all of the time. I feel like we need to say that as we look at the book of Judges. We need to point that out. It is weird to think that it's okay to only follow the Lord when he delivers us from trouble. Because the fact of the matter is, the Bible never teaches that God will always deliver us from trouble on this earth. In fact, if you look at most of the followers of God in the Bible, they suffered trouble. They suffered. And so we are not only to follow God when he blesses us. And by the way, when you follow God faithfully, there is no promise that he will bless you with the riches or the wealth of this world. There is a promise he will bless you with heavenly riches. And there is a promise that he has prepared a home in heaven for you. And there is a promise that one day he will ultimately heal you completely and give you everything that you need. There is that promise, and that promise cannot be taken away. And none of that was in my notes, but I feel like you needed to hear it this morning. And as we approach this particular story, we see that many of the Israelite tribes were failing when it came to being faithful to God. Most of that unfaithfulness was centered in the fact that they did not drive out from the land, the promised land that God had given them. They did not drive out the people of that land, the pagan false worshipers, uh, worshiping false gods, though who were not faithful to the Lord. God commanded the people to drive them out, and many of the Israelite tribes didn't do that. And most of their problems centered on that issue. You see, God had delivered them 
from the land of Egypt into the land that he promised them, so cleverly entitled, the promised land. He delivered them from Egypt to the promised land, but they are not thriving in the promised land because they are not obeying the Lord. In verse 12 of our passage, the first verse, which we'll look at in just a moment, sums up how the people were behaving in the land. However, we need to know this. The fact that God did all that he did to deliver the people from Egypt, sustain them as he did in the wilderness, and then deliver them into the promised land, yet they did not obey him. That is weird. That is crazy. That is preposterous. Preposterous. I can't even say that. Preposterous. Wait, hold on a minute. Preposterous. There we go. Yeah. The build. See, it wasn't in my notes, so I couldn't say it. The build-up to this story is weird. Second, we see the unfolding of this story is weird. We're in the second point, and I haven't even read any scripture yet. But you needed to hear some of the background. So let's look at the passage. As you write in your notes, the unfolding of this story is weird. Look at Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. Remember, I said verse 12 sums up the problem. Look at verse 12. The Israelites again did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He gave King Eglon of Moab power over Israel because they had done what was evil in the Lord's sight. After Eglon convinced the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join forces with him, he attacked and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites served King Eglon of Moab 18 years. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he raised up Ehud, son of Gerar, a left-handed Benjamite, as a deliverer for them. The Israelites sent him with the tribute for King Eglon of Moab. Ehud made himself a double-edged sword, 18 inches long. He strapped it to his right thigh under his clothes and brought the tribute to King Eglon of Moab, who was an extremely fat man. When Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he dismissed the people who had carried it. At the carved images near Gilgal, he returned and said, King Eglon, I have a secret message for you. The king said, Silence, and all his attendants left him. Then Ehud approached him while he was sitting alone in his upstairs room where it was cool. Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And the king stood up from his throne. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into Eglon's belly. Even the handle went in after the blade, and Eglon's fat closed in over it, so that Ehud did not withdraw the sword from his belly and the waste came out. Ehud escaped by way of the porch, closing and locking the doors of the upstairs room behind him. Ehud was gone when Eglon's servants came in. They looked and found the doors of the upstairs room locked and thought he was relieving himself in the cool room. The servants waited until they became embarrassed and saw that he had still not opened the doors of the upstairs room. So they took the key and opened the doors, and there was their Lord lying dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while the servants waited. He passed the Jordan near the carved images and reached Sariah, 
After he arrived, he sounded the ram's horn throughout the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites came down with him from the hill country, and he became their leader. He told them, follow me, because the Lord has handed over your enemies, the Moabites, to you. So they followed him, captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all stout and able-bodied men. Not one of them escaped. Moab became subject to Israel that day, and the land had peace for 80 years. Okay, you can see this is a weird story, right? Perhaps one of the most, uh, one of the favorite uh, biblical stories of teenage boys, okay? They just love, especially young teenage boys, they love this story. And I can tell you, grown men love it as well. I love it. It's a weird story, though. Uh, this is a story of Eglon and Ehud, or as I like to call them, Pudgy and Lefty, okay? Pudgy and Lefty. So let's remember how the Israelites got in this position. They sinned against the Lord. He judged them, and they became subject to Moab, and as it turns out, also to the Amalekites and others throughout the land, as King Eglon brought together a coalition to take down Israel. And they did take them down, and Israel was subject to Moab for 18 years. And so somebody has to come on behalf of Israel to deliver a tribute to King Eglon, the king of Moab. The tribute would have been a payment of sorts to, to, that you give to the ruling king so that you can remain at peace somewhat in the land, and they're not going to take you down because you didn't pay the tribute. And as long as you paid the tribute, things usually went well. So after 18 years of Moabite dominance over Israel, Israel cried out to the Lord, and as we see in the cycles in the book of Judges, the Lord provided a deliverer, a judge for them by the name of Ehud. Now somehow the people knew that Ehud was their appointed deliverer, so they sent Ehud to pay the tribute to Eglon. Everybody still with me so far? Both their names start with E, so I know it's confusing. So you can think pudgy and lefty, okay? So Ehud is lefty, Eglon is pudgy. So Ehud had some people come with him to present the tribute on behalf of Israel to Moab, to the evil king, so that they could be at peace in the land. So Ehud presented the tribute, and then there were some others helping him present the tribute. Perhaps the tribute was like a pallet of agricultural goods that they had brought from the land. You know, they didn't bring like a checkbook at the time. They perhaps were giving them goods from the land as a tribute. So he probably needed help getting it to the king. But then Ehud said, you guys can go now. In a sense, he's saying, I can cover the rest of this on my own. And so they leave, and then Ehud has another meeting with Eglon. Ehud comes up with this plan to thrust an 18-inch sword into the belly of Eglon. Now, some of your uh, translations may not say it was exactly 18 inches, but the measurement that they used at the time was basically from a man's knuckles to his elbow. And so it's a different measurement for different men. But they say it's about 18 inches. So this is kind of what some of us might call a dagger, a large dagger or a short 
sore. But because Eglon was extremely fat, Ehud didn't appear to be too worried about Eglon having the ability to fight back. I mean, he must have been a really big fella because Ehud's like, I can, I can take him down all on my own. By the way, we also see that Ehud, as his name indicates, lefty, he was left-handed. They might say, well, why does that matter? Well, at the time, uh, well, even today, only about 10% of the world's population is left-handed. We have a lefty in my household. My son Jeremiah is a lefty. How many lefties we have in the room? Raise your left hand. Okay. All right. So we have some lefties, right? Only about 10% of the world's population are lefties. And usually, in order to grab a dagger with your right hand, you'd keep it on your left side and you'd pull it out like this. You'd pull your short sword out like this, okay? And so for a left-handed person to pull out their dagger, they'd put it on their right thigh. And some commentators, some scholars, some historians would say the reason he put it on his right thigh, not only because he's left-handed, but also because oftentimes the left thigh would be searched by guards, and they would look for that dagger. And of course, he didn't have one on his left side. By the way, Ehud was also a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Benjamin was the son of Jacob, and the name Benjamin means son of my right hand. Son of my right hand. So that's just a neat little fact. Ehud was a left-handed son of the right hand. <laughs> so maybe he was ambidextrous, I'm not sure. But nevertheless, he has the sword on his right thigh under his, they didn't wear pants like what we are today. They probably wore more like, really more like a dress or a cloak and they could just, boom, pull that bad boy out on the right side. So Ehud, who is the son of the right hand, but he's left-handed, he has this dagger, and he pulls it out, and he was so successful when he thrust that dagger into Eglon's belly, he was so successful that not only did he kill him, but his stomach burst open and waste fell out on the ground. I'm not going to get too graphic. That's graphic enough as it is, right? You're like, you've gone too far, Pastor. I didn't expect, well, it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up, okay? But he has this waste that spills out on the floor, and then Ehud makes a daring escape, leaving Eglon's servants waiting and scratching their heads about what was taking their king so long in his upper chambers. In fact, the scriptures say they thought perhaps he was relieving himself but then it was so long that they were embarrassed for him. Like, man, he's really taking a long time up there. Perhaps we need to go check on him. And then, of course, as the scriptures tell us, they did finally check on him, and they found him dead, their king. Now, at that time, if you killed the king, you can really get a lot of, you can get a lot of momentum on your side. Okay, so when they killed, when he killed King uh, King Eglon, then Ehu called the other Israelites that were near him down to him using the blowing of the ram's horn. And we see they defeated 10,000 Moabites. They had momentum, not to mention they had the Lord on their side. And they had momentum on their side and they defeated these 10,000 Moabites. Now this is, this is pretty cool. I, I mean, I love this story, but it's, it's definitely weird. I mean, there's some weird stuff going on. We have a super fat bad guy by the name of Eglon 
And I cannot read about this story without thinking of Eglon as Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars. This is who I picture, okay? Jabba the Hutt. By the way, this is not a real person, okay? This is a Star Wars character, but he's, this, is what, this is what I picture Eglon looking like, okay? So you have Jabba the Hutt, and then we have Ehud the Deliverer. And when I think of Ehud, the way he made his way in, the way he killed the bad guy, and then he snuck out, I think of like an army ranger or a Navy SEAL or a, a force recon marine. That's what I think of when I hear of, of, of these, you know, Ehud coming in and, and doing all this crazy stuff. Of course, he didn't have a machine gun, but he had the 18-inch dagger. And then I have the, we have the, the situation where Ehud blows the, the ram's horn. That reminds me, some of you are, are fans of Lord of the Rings. It reminds me of Boromir blowing the horn and, and calling people to him to defeat the evil orcs. Uh, Boromir called the fellowship back to him. And uh, you know the Lord of the Rings fans, they're really into it, so you get, they get carried away sometimes. But, you know, I, you picture this story and you hear these things, and it's like, wow, this is really, this is really neat. And sometimes I think we think, well, this is, this is just a fantastical story like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, but it's actually, this actually really happened. The Lord was really at work. The Lord was doing something in this story. It's a lot of cool stuff, but it's kind of weird. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you heard of a knife getting stuck in somebody's belly? I mean, it doesn't happen every day. It's just some weird stuff. The build-up to the story is weird. The unfolding of the story is weird. But also, the aftermath of the story is weird. The aftermath of the story is weird. The weird part of the aftermath is not that Ehud and the Israelites were victorious. That's not weird. That's actually incredible. That's awesome. It's wonderful. However, let me show you something. This is Judges chapter 3. Look at Judges chapter 4, verse 1. After Ehud, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. Think about years. They, they were under the bondage of Moab for 18 years years because of their sin because of the sins of israel they were under moabite bondage finally 18 that's a long time 18 years finally the lord delivers them through the heroic efforts of ehud and then after ehud dies they again start this cycle over they again do what was evil in the sight of the lord i mean this is crazy this is weird. God was faithful to deliver them, not only through Ehud, but through their first judge, Othniel. He delivered them, if you read a little, little before Ehud, you read about Othniel, the first judge, and then he sends them Ehud as a deliverer as well. Surely the Israelites would learn their lesson, not the first time, but maybe the second time. But they didn't. Again and again, they turned their backs on the Lord. Again and again, they sinned through the times of the judges, through the times of the kings, and through the times when they had no ruler, they would continue to sin against the Lord. The aftermath of this story is weird. Instead of trust and faithfulness, we see fear and unfaithfulness from God's people. The people of Israel behaved terribly. 
the fact of the matter is, we do this sometimes as well, don't we? We proclaim that we are people of faith, yet we don't trust God to provide for us. We claim to be people who value heavenly blessings, yet we put more effort towards achieving the so-called blessings of this world. We proclaim to be people of love, but we often tear apart our own. We make a verbal commitment to God, yet we don't even take the time to speak to Him through prayer or to listen to Him through the reading of His Word. Church, let's not be too hard on the Israelites because sometimes we're pretty inconsistent when it comes to our true commitment to God. Some might say that what we say versus what we do is weird. Those Christians, they're just weird. My response would be guilty as charged. God gave the Israelites Ehud as a deliverer. But Ehud was not who they ultimately needed. That takes us to our bottom line. A weird deliverance is good, but we really need a wonderful deliverance. A weird deliverance is good, but we really need a wonderful deliverance. God would give more and more deliverers to Israel. He would give them judges like Othniel, Ehud, Gideon, Samson. Later, he would give them prophets like Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. After the people cried out to the Lord and said, Give us a king. God gave them kings like Saul, David, Solomon, Josiah, many others. However, do you know how it all ended at the end of the Old Testament for the people of Israel? They were totally defeated, conquered by Persia, among many others who conquered them before that, and they're trying to rebuild all that was lost. They were seemingly without hope. They had some deliverers, but they needed a wonderful deliverer. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus is the wonderful deliverer that they needed and that we need today. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul speaks of Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. You know, the truth of the matter is the enemies of God would continue to come and continue to come and continue to come against God's people all throughout the Old Testament. You see it again and again and again and again all throughout the Old Testament. And they needed a deliverer and God would give them deliverers. But those deliverers were temporary and those deliverers would only rescue them from what was on this earth. 
The truth of the matter is that which they truly need to be rescued from what's inside their own evil hearts. And what we truly need rescue from is within our own hearts. Jesus is the deliverer we need. He will rescue us from the coming wrath. He will rescue us from the curse of sin. He will set us free. He is our wonderful deliverer. And that takes us to our only weekly challenge for the day. One weekly challenge. Cry out to your wonderful deliverer. Cry out to your wonderful deliverer. The people of Israel cried out to God. Deliver us, God. Deliver us from the evil from which we're suffering. They often acknowledged it was because of their own sin. God, we realize we're in this spot because of our sin, and we repent, and we call out to you, deliver us. And God would continually deliver them and continually deliver them. But again, as we end in the Old Testament, they are still without hope. And Jesus came as the wonderful deliverer. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, drink of the water of life. If you're hungry, eat of the bread of life. Jesus said to the woman at the well, as she said, I know Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, the one to whom you are speaking is he. Call out to your deliverer. Cry out to him. The Bible teaches us, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that there is no righteousness in me on my own. Without God, I am hopeless. And so we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved to be saved from our sin, to be saved from the curse of sin, to be saved from the ways of this world, which are so much less than the ways of God. When we experience salvation, we are made new. I, I believe everyone nearly in this room recognizes that. But the truth of the matter is, for those of us who were saved quite some time ago, we must continue to call upon the name of the Lord. We must continue to call out Him, not to keep our salvation. That salvation can never be taken from us. But the truth of the matter is we need Jesus to be with us every single day of our lives. And when we sin, we must call upon the name of the Lord to repair that relationship that we have broken. When we experience consequences from the sins of others around us and we are hurt or we are helpless or we are defeated, we call upon the name of the Lord and experience that salvation, experience that which only he can bring because he is our deliverer. I cannot tell you enough. God never says the problems in this world will be taken from us, but he does say that he will always be with us and he will always be faithful and he will ultimately deliver us from all the challenges of this world. He is with you, church. Call upon your wonderful deliverer. Cry out. To your wonderful deliverer. So this week, weekly challenge, and not only for this week. By the way, in case you haven't caught on, all the weekly challenges apply to any week of the year. Okay, You can always do them. They're always helpful. Call upon the name of the Lord. Cry out to your wonderful deliverer. Sometimes, the book of Romans teaches, sometimes we groan as without words, and we don't even know what to say. 
But the Bible says in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit knows our hearts. All you have to cry out is, Jesus, Jesus. And God knows your heart. He is your wonderful deliverer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches. His riches are what you need. You don't need the riches of this world. You don't need the nicest car, the nicest house. You don't need to be accepted by everybody. You don't need power and notoriety. You don't need a platform for those of you who are on social media. Media. You don't need any of that. What you need are the riches of God. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Call out to your deliverer. and He will supply all your needs according to the, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So take some time this week to focus on the wonder of Jesus, our wonderful deliverer. Never forget the story of Pudgy and Lefty, Eglon and Ehud. Let it remind you that, first of all, our God has a sense of humor, but our God works miracles. And the miracle of God delivering his people, Israel, from the oppression of the Moabites was nothing compared to the miracle of God delivering you from the curse of sin. And if you're here this morning and you are still living under the curse of sin, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never asked Jesus to make you a new man, a new woman, a new young man, a new young woman, to be made new by the blood of Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response, asking everyone in this room to call upon the name of the Lord, no matter where you are, call out to God and say, God, thank you for being my deliverer. Help me to rely upon you. Help me not to trust, first of all, in myself, but also in the ways of this world. Help me only to trust in the one who can only truly deliver me, Jesus Christ. That should be the prayer of all those who know Jesus already. But for those of you who don't know Jesus, the Bible says God created you to know him, to be in a relationship with him, and to experience bountiful blessings that he had in store for you. But all of us, each of us in our sin, rejected God's ways, rejected God's love, rejected God's blessings, and chose our own way. The Bible says that's called sin. And when we turned away from God, we turned to sin. It brought with it, just like in the book of Judges, it brought the judgment of God. The Bible says the wages or the payment for sin is death. None of us escapes that. The Bible also says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's a bad, it's a bad situation. It's much worse than being under the oppression of the Moabites. You are under, at that point, the oppression of God himself because there is judgment for your sin. But that's not the end of the story. Wouldn't it be a terrible sermon if I read the story about Ehud and Eglon, and I said, then Eglon's guys came in and killed Ehud, the end. That wouldn't be as cool of a story, would it? The victory is missing. So also, there is victory for you. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.
And he not only died, he rose from the dead and he ascended back into heaven to be with the Father. And he's calling you to salvation. He's calling you to turn from your sins and turn to him and receive forgiveness and receive new life, receive a new way of life, receive eternal inheritance that can never be taken from you, secured in heaven right now for you. I don't know about you all that have investments, but man, I looked at my yearly summary this year and it was depressing. I mean, things can really do some harm on your investments. This, the economy can wreak havoc. And you think, man, what's going on here? But with the riches of God, nothing can take that away. Nothing can affect that. Nothing can make it decrease in value. It is eternally and fully, gloriously beautiful and wealthy. And it's so much greater than the ways of this world. So call out to Jesus. Receive your salvation. Receive your new life. And receive a home in heaven filled with the riches of God. In just a moment as we sing, I'll be down here singing as well. If you need to know how God can change your life, if you need someone to pray for you, if you need some hope and you just want to talk to a pastor, I would love to talk to you. After our service is over, I'm available as well. All of our pastors are always available. This is not the only time you can speak to us, although we do want to encourage you if the Holy Spirit is moving, that you move as well and you be obedient to what God's calling you to do. But church, never forget, call out to your wonderful deliverer. Join me now in prayer as we prepare to sing.